What's good, Pistons fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Three Rings Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Wilco Martinez Cachero. He is floor and ceiling, a great YouTube page. Um, basically, you know, he does a bunch of scouting reports on some of the best players coming into the NBA. Um, I would highly recommend you all to check out his last uh, YouTube video on Shaden Sharp. Specifically, I saw that one. That was a very good one. And so he's joining us today. Wilco, how's it going? It's going well, bro. I, I appreciate the shout out and I appreciate you guys having me on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, so we'll be talking today mainly just about the 2022 draft, a little bit about the rookies of the 2021 draft and so on and, and what Wilco thinks about all these guys um, and, and, you know, this upcoming draft and so on. And so first, before we get into the episode, as usual, the quick shout out to our Instagram TikTok, Twitter, whatever you name it, YouTube too. Uh, check us out at the Three Rings Podcast. Um, you know, we're always posting stuff there and always feel free to hit us up with questions. Um, and I think we'll be doing a mailbag episode soon. So definitely be out on the lookout for that. So yeah, I guess with our first question today, Wilco, is that who, what's your big board looking like right now? I mean, obviously some of the best players have been named to be, you know, Chet, uh, Paolo Bancaro, uh, Jabari Smith, and so on. But who do you think's number one, number two, and so on? Maybe I guess, you know, give us your top five or top 10, whatever you want. Yeah, let's do top five. I think um, I think top five is a little bit easier now just because this draft class is so wide open for sure, especially once you get out of that like top five or six range. But right now, I still got Chet Holmgren at one. I know that a lot of people like Jabari Smith better than Chet. And I love Jabari, don't get me wrong, but I do have some some things where I, th I feel like he could improve or like I'm not so sure about how it's going to translate. So we can get into those in a bit. Then number two, I've got Jabari. Number three, I got Paulo Bancaro there. I think he's going to be really good, but I do have some concerns. Uh, number four is Jaden Ivey. I really think he's the best guard in this draft class for sure. Um, really bouncy, athletic. I think he's really going to thrive in the NBA for sure. And then number five, it's definitely a little bit of a hard choice. There's a few guys who could be up there in that contention. Um, I feel like you could even make like a case for like Jalen Duren and have just like a bunch of bigs in the top five. But I think I'm going to go with Shaden Sharp. Um, usually, usually I would say that, you know, I wouldn't be as certain. But this draft class, like I said, is so wide open. I think someone with his talent, with his age, you know, he's going to be still so young. He can really come in, shine in those workout settings, and find himself being a top five pick come the summer. Right, so with my my bad, can I ask real oh, quick? Um, with yeah. Chet, um, do you think his? I mean, if you have him number one, obviously you do think so. But you think that his game's going to translate very well to the NBA, and maybe that he, you know, adds the weight and size that he needs. I think so. I mean, I don't think he's ever going to be the strongest guy. Like that's never going to be the case, but. With Chet, what I like the most about him is just how tough he plays. Um, like, yeah, like he's always going to be giving up weight and strength or whatnot. But we're, we're talking about a guy who, I mean, he's making like 80% of his shots at the rim. And like, it's not on low volume either. So he knows how to finish. Like, he knows how to be physical. Um, you know, his three-pointers have really improved as of late. I think he's up to like the mid-40s. And you probably want him to like take a few more threes. But I think that's going to happen in the NBA just because like how the league is moving. Um, he's never really going to be like a mid-range guy, but like you don't really need him to be, you know, he can attack mismatches. And I think the biggest question for him is just on defense. Um, 
who can he guard? Who is he going to guard? I don't think you're putting him on fives or even fours. So that should be kind of interesting to follow. Yeah, my question was going along the lines of that. I was going to ask, where do you project him to play in the league? Because I, I see him more as like a KD kind of three-ish kind of guy, while, you know, Vinayak and Neil kind of look at me funny and think he's more of a four or five. So what do you, what do you think about that, like where he projects? I think I think he can be like like a like I don't think he's gonna be a five at least like not in the short term, so I think he's gonna be like kind of stuck between that three and four position, more so I think he's just gonna play like in the front court rather than like really having a label, so I was like yeah going into this year I was like yeah I don't know where he's gonna play like is he a five I don't really think so like is he a four I'm not so sure, but having seen like Evan Mobley and Jared Allen play together and then like Laurie Markkinen is there as well. That sort of made me think like, all right, maybe all you need is just the talent and the size and everything else hopefully will take care of itself. Yeah. And also like you were, you were saying about Chet, he may not be like Evan Mobley necessarily in terms of like, you know, his, um, his defense and stuff like that. Although Chet is a pretty good shot blocker. I've seen a lot about like how fluid he is. And like, what do you think about his like fluidity compared to like other big men in the league? I feel like a lot of people say like for a seven foot guy, he moves quite well, despite, you know, having, the you know skinny frame yeah 100% I mean Chet moves really well I think um he's just so long you know so like whenever he moves he just covers up a bunch of space and like that can only be a good thing on defense and offense um whether it's like moving sideways or playing above the rim catching lobs whatever the case may be so I think his mobility is pretty good um in terms of fluidity like I think the shot can be a little stiff but I mean, he has soft touch, um, you know, he's he's always going to be like the tallest guy on the court, probably. So blocking him is tough, like even though his shot is maybe a little bit slow or like maybe a little bit stiff sometimes, I'm not too worried about it. Um, but like if we're talking about fluidity, I think the one guy who like really stands out to me there is Paulo. Yeah, I was just going to say, because it's been interesting with Paulo, because at the start of the season, I think. For most people, he was labeled as the number one pick for sure, pretty much. He, you know, he was the undisputed number one pick. But I think his stock's gone down. I don't want to say quite a bit, but definitely a little bit because it seems like Jabari's passed him on most people's big boards. Definitely, you know, like you said, on yours. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was going to ask about that because Jabari has just shot up all of these draft boards. I mean, he and to be fair, I think it's definitely very worthy, especially with what he's doing with Auburn. And the fact that they have the number one team in the country right now. So what do you think between them two? Like who, if you had to make a prediction right now, and obviously it's very early, who would have a better NBA career between Jabari and Paolo? I think the way the league is kind of looking right now, I think Jabari will have a better career. Um, I think Paolo will have a better start, if that makes sense. Like I think, I kind of think like he can come into the, like the league year one, put up probably like, if he put up 15 points a game, like, I would not be that surprised. Whereas, like, with Jabari, like, yeah, I could kind of see him struggling. Like, so, like, a Jalen Green situation a little bit this year where, like, yeah, like, you're a really good scorer, like, in college or in the G League, but then you still kind of have to, like, figure out the NBA a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Jabari's just been so impressive. Like, it's what you were saying with Auburn, just, like, you know, like, carrying them all the way to being the top team in the country. Um, just, you know, he's, he's a really good scorer. And, like, part of me kind of wants to worry about that. It's like, all right, like, he relies on his jump shots so much, but there are just guys like Kevin Durant or like Jason Tatum 
guys like that who are, you know, really long, pretty tall, they just want to shoot the ball and like they can make those shots. So you just have to let them, you know, play like that. Um, he's efficient enough, you know, he's always going to get his shot up, like off. And overall, I think the one point for Jabari where he really has to improve is at the rim. Um, he's strong, but he's not, you know, built. He's big, but like he's not like, you know, he's not going to move you out of the way, really. So he kind of has to develop in those areas. Like he's not really a huge, you know, explosiveness type of guy. Like he can get up for a dunk, but he's never going to just, you know, blow up your defense, just like cutting through the lane and throwing it down on everyone. So I think both of those areas are improvement um, for Jabari. But overall with Paulo, I think compared to Jabari, it's just like his game is a little bit more methodical, more old school. So I'm just not entirely sure how that translates. You can go ahead. You can go ahead. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I was going to ask you about the Johnny da about Johnny Davis, because I know you made a video of him and you should guys, you guys should go check it out if you haven't yet. Um, I mean, how do you think the increased pace of play in the NBA will, you know, affect him? Do you think it affects him at all? Because obviously Wisconsin, if you've watched them, doesn't really play at a very fast pace. Um, and, you know, other teams, I think of like Kennedy Chandler at Tennessee, they also don't really play that fast. And even like Keegan Murray at Iowa, you could see that Luka Garza is having a really tough time adjusting to the pace of play. How do you think that affects him? Because I know you said you had him in your top 10 or 15 for for uh, right now. But what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting for sure. Um, yeah, like in the video, I said I had Johnny Davis like 10 to 15. Like now he's probably more like 7 to 12 or something like that. But it's going to be interesting because, I mean, his game relies a lot, kind of similar to Jabari, not exactly, but, you know, he really likes to work in the mid-range. You know, he'll like do these long possessions where like, okay, whatever, like I'll set up the pick and roll and like maybe it doesn't work, so I'll reset. And then like that takes up like 20 more seconds, but I'm just so good. I'm going to make like the jumper anyway, so like it doesn't matter. But in the NBA, it's not always going to be like that just because like of the way the game is played. Like you said, like there's so much running and, you know, transition and just like stuff in the open court. So I don't know how his game will translate, but I do think like at first it's not going to be such a concern because once Johnny Davis comes into the league, like I think his role early on is going to be defense mostly. And then gradually you're kind of going to like, you know, get to see him get into his bag and grow out his offensive game. But the fact that he's already so good at defense sort of makes me think that the team that picks him is going to choose to develop him that way. And then once he sort of grows, um, I think like his ability to slow the game down will be really valuable in the playoffs. But of course, um, in the regular season remains to be seen. Yeah, no, I mean, I was just going to say Johnny Davis from the little bit I've seen from him and it's, it's not too much, but he sort of does remind me of, Cunningham a little bit in that he doesn't really get sped up too much by the guys that he's playing around. He plays at his own pace. It's kind of similar to the Luka Doncic comparison that everyone gave to Cade. Um, and so we'll see, because I think, like you said, maybe that's something that just takes time and adjustment with the NBA, because it's certainly taken Cade a little bit of time. Um, Cause at the beginning of the year, I mean, he was getting blocked quite a bit. He had a few, quite a few turnovers and so on, just cause he wasn't ready for the pace yet. So yeah, but I think Johnny Davis, that mid-range shot is nice. He, I think he has a very good future ahead of him. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that mid-range jumper, it's wet. I mean, it's going to go in all day. Um, 
I think, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, all right, like the NBA is moving towards threes and like shots at the rim. But at the same time, if you got someone who's like an expert in that area, then you've got to let them, you know, work that way. And I definitely think Johnny Davis, sort of like Devin Booker, DeMar DeRozan, someone like that, I think that's where his strength is. So like you said, like the mid-range, I feel like in this draft class, a lot of the prospects do seem to enjoy the mid-range. So like going back to like Paulo, for example, uh, Paulo Banquero, he really like loves his mid-game, his mid-range game. And he's kind of doesn't really shoot as many threes, although I think he can get that down. But what do you say? Well, for Paulo, for example, what would you say is his biggest um, his biggest weakness per se? So a lot of the things I've I've been as I've been watching him, it seems like his defense is something he has the tools in a sense like he has. He's a really strong guy, but it feels to me that, you know, he can't really move. He, he doesn't really know how to use his tools per se. What do you think about that in terms of Paulo's game? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, really quick before getting into his defense, I think something really important that you said is uh, how many mid-range jumpers he loves to take. Yeah. And, you know, just looking at some numbers before I came on here today, I think those like two-point jumpers make up about a third of his offense. So he's really relying on those. And, I mean, he can make them for sure. Like, he's a tough shot maker. But at the same time, like, you don't always want him to be taking those shots. And like you said, he's got to get more comfortable really stretching the floor, um, you know, being less hesitant to shoot from three. Because right now, sometimes it can be a little bit of a struggle for him. But on defense, yeah, I mean... I, I share those concerns, too. Um, he's big and he's not that long, but he's not, you know, like not long either. Um, he's athletic, but he's not like super explosive and he's strong, but like he can't really stay in front of guards that well. So he can't contain drives either. Um, I think like at the end of the day, I think Paulo is going to be a guy who has to be like a small ball five on D sort of, you know, being able to like kind of hang back, not switch too much in the pick and rolls. I think I don't want to say like Joel Embiid because that's outlandish, but sort of thinking about him in that way where it's like you would much rather him like drop in the pick and roll than switch and sort of just patrolling the rim and being able to use his size rather than really having to move around too much. Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely, I definitely think with, with Paulo is, um, it's going to be interesting to see how he goes, how he goes to the league. Because I think he could, like you said, in the beginning of his uh, career, he um, he's going to be like a 15-point scorer. It seems like his game is ready. In this sense, also similar to Caden's sense, where he looks like his game is ready for the NBA. But I think, yeah, the defense will be something where it, it'll be kind of a work in progress. And potentially, yeah, the small ball five. I'm not sure. Did he? Does he play any five at Duke? Is, he, is that something that they've, from what you've seen, is that something that they've done? Uh, yeah, they, they do it a little bit. Um, I sort of wish they would go to it even more, actually. But yeah, sometimes like during late game situations, they'll go to him at the five. Um, I think like Mark Williams is a guy who, you know, has some buzz of, like at the draft community, I guess. But to be honest, I'm not a massive fan. Like I think he's an OK center, but like he can definitely just be like a second round pick. Whereas like at Duke, I really do wish like they would play Paulo at the five more. Um, you know, you've got all these guys like Trevor Keels and like Wendell Moore, A.J. Griffin. Like you can still be big without having like a, tradi a traditional five on the court. So I would like them to go to that a bit more. But I think in the NBA, it will definitely happen because this is something which is like kind of specific to Duke a little bit. Like even when Marvin Bagley was there, they had him at the three sometimes. So 
definitely I think once Paulo gets to the NBA, he's going to be, you know, playing in that four, five-ish, small ball five kind of role. Yeah, and speaking of fives, that was going to be my next question was kind of like about the 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 quote-unquote true centers in this class because obviously people will rank Jalen Duran as the number one center kind of just not by default, but I don't know that, that it doesn't seem like it's a very deep class. Obviously you said Mark Williams, I think Walker Kessler and uh, Christian Coloco have helped their stock, but who do you, who do you think are like uh, the other centers after Duran that kind of go in the first round maybe? Yeah. I mean, Walker Kessler, he's definitely, you know, been improving his draft stock in a big way, especially like over the past month or so. Um, you know, I think he was someone who showed flashes last year, but he didn't really get that much time on the court. And now that he's on a new team, he's really starting to, you know, be able to kind of grow into that role as a guy who can protect the rim and also, you know, step out and shoot threes. So he's a big name to watch for sure. Um, I think Mark Williams, he might get first round looks just because, I trust like what the draft insiders say, you know, if they're all putting him within their top 30, it's got to be for a reason because they're hearing things that I'm not. So I think he's a guy who could potentially go in the first round um, very much, you know, a traditional center, you know, rim running, catching lobs, protecting the rim can maybe, you know, switch out in space here or there, but he's not really like a stopper either on defense. So that's why I'm not a huge fan just because like, I don't think he's got like a super versatile skill set, but I think he'll get those looks. and then. Coloco, like you said, I like him too. I like him in a sort of like Clint Capella type of situation. Something, you know, simple, but effective for sure. Good athlete, big hands, long arms, all that. And one sleeper pick that I do want to talk about, you know, just mention him a little bit, is um, Ismael Camagate. So he's this French big man playing in Paris. Um, not super big. I think he's like 6'9 or 6'10, but really strong, um, can pass the ball really well. Got to improve as a shooter for sure, but I think he's going to be someone who might surprise people come this summer. Either it's like a like late first round, early second round type of pick. He can be someone who really helps teams out just by being, you know, switchy, can pass the ball, has good feel for the game, and like he's a pretty good athlete too. Yeah, no, you were speaking about like international bigs, and I wanted to ask like, how do you think like compared to last year's class, does this class have in terms of international players? So at the beginning of the at the beginning, like when I started looking at this draft, I heard you heard players like, you know, Yannick Noza, I believe, or Nikola Jovic, Jovic. I'm not sure how you, Jovic. I don't know how you pronounce that, but um, how do you think the international, um, the international players this, um, this year compared to uh, previous uh, draft classes? Uh, I mean, I think it's a little bit of a weaker draft class, but at the same time, I think for the international guys, it's wide open. So whereas last year, like you sort of knew like, all right, like, you know, Dengun is probably like the biggest center internationally or whatever the case may be. Whereas like with this year's class, it's like, all right, like maybe some teams are like, we need to draft someone and just stash him because we don't have any roster spots right now. So that kind of really blows it open. Like, I think like if you're a wing in Europe, for example, and you're young and you're putting up good numbers and like, you can sort of see like, all right, this guy has something to him. You have a good class, like a good um, chance, I should say, of getting drafted. So it's wide open for sure. I think last year's was stronger. But with this year, like, I, I do think there are some guys who um, deserve a little bit of buzz. Um, like, Shaden Sharp, I guess you could consider him part of the international draft class just because he's from Canada. And he hasn't been playing in the U.S. for that long. So starting with him. But then you go to overtime elite. 
Um, John Montero is probably one of the biggest um, or most important, I guess, point guards in this draft. So you've got him, you know, pretty creative passer. I think he's really improved in that area. I'm not sure about his shot and he's really small. He's like six foot, six foot one, six foot two ish, I think. So he's pretty small and he's playing for this overtime elite program that like we have no idea how that's going to look like in the NBA. But outside of them too, yeah, like Nikola Jovic is probably another guy um, playing in Serbia, sort of like, I think he's more of like in a Joe Ingles type of situation where like he's not super athletic, but he can handle, um, he can pass. His shooting, I think, has gone up as of late. Um, I still need to like watch some more tape, but whenever I've watched him like last year or even earlier this year, I've been impressed of like a do-it-all guy. But, but yeah, I mean, I don't know who he guards on defense either. So those are probably the main three guys, um, like Sharp, if you want to count him, Montero, and Jovic. I think those are the guys who, if I'm like, who's going to be picked in the top 20 that's international, it would probably be those three. Yeah, and I mean, you already kind of gave a good segue into the next question. But in terms of the guards, you know, you already obviously mentioned Shaden Sharp. Um, and who, who do you think is like, the best guard of this class in my opinion i would go with Jaden ivy i love the way he plays i think he has a great twitch to his game um but who do you think has the best future nba career of all the potential guards yeah i agree with you i think it's Jaden ivy and there's a lot of reasons to like him i mean the first one and the easiest one is just the athleticism i mean as soon as you watch an, a Jaden ivy game or even if you're just you know on youtube looking up highlights that's going to be the thing that pops out. He's so fast, you know, he's a, uh, he's not, he doesn't look super strong, but like, I think he's pretty strong. Like, I think that's a little bit underrated. Um, he can get up for some huge dunks. You know what I mean? Like we've all seen the Twitter highlights of him in transition. So he can go up and do some crazy things. I like Jaden Ivey a lot. Um, I think as a passer, he's never going to be like an elite passer, but he's going to be good enough to the point where like, you're not super worried about it. Like maybe he's not going to be the lead guard, but he can play the one for sure. And then something that I think is underrated and like I think it's going to be fine in the NBA is his jump shooting. So particularly from three, like I think that's going to be the biggest area for a point guard going forward in the NBA. you got to be able to make your threes. And with Jaden Ivey, I think he was shooting, if I'm not mistaken, like right, right under 30% last year. And then this year, that's gone up like above 40, if I'm not mistaken. So it might seem like, all right, we got to wait a little bit to see if the improvement is real. But I buy it. I mean, he's pulling up, he's coming off screens, you know, he's going into threes, moving around the floor, and he's making them. So definitely Jaden Ivey, um, for me, best guard in the class, no doubt. Yeah, and I was going to say real quick with that, um, from what I've seen of Ivey, um, and I'm actually calling his game actually against Michigan tomorrow, which I'm excited for to Ooh. see him in person. But from what I've seen from him, you know, kind of like you said last year, he couldn't really shoot threes that well. I think he, the number was like 29% from three. And this year he's up to like 41%. You know, it sounds a lot like John Morant to a certain extent in terms of what he did in the NBA. And, you know, would that be a fair comparison of Ivy to Morant? Because I think they have very similar explosiveness and athleticism. You know, could you see Ivy having a Morant role, I guess? Yeah, I think I think so. I think that's a good comparison. And I mean, like no comparison is ever going to be perfect in the draft just because like everyone is so unique. But yeah, if there was someone that, that I had to compare Jaden Ivey to in recent years, for sure, it would be him. 
Um, with John Moran, I, I think he was a little bit of a better passer than Jaden is right now. I think Jaden, when he makes passes, it's more so based on him just being like super fast and being able to like get into the paint and kick it out and stuff like that. Whereas like with John Moran, there's a little bit more craft to it. Um, I think like Ja, obviously like he can go for some big dunks and like he's really explosive. But Jaden Ivey, I think he's a little bit more explosive, like handling the ball, if that makes sense. Um, like, whereas with Ja, it's more like, all right, like if he cuts off the ball, like you're screwed, you know, he can get up for the lob, whatever. But like with Jaden Ivey, like he can really be a blur in the open court. So yeah, I think it's definitely a fair comparison. Um, and I, I'm interested, honestly, in seeing how Jaden looks in the NBA, because he's going to have so much more space to work with. And for John Moran, especially for him coming from Murray State, where he was always like the focal point of the defense, going into the NBA and just having more space to make decisions and really do whatever you wanted was huge for him. Yeah, so I, I kind of want to talk about a little more about like the smaller schools and stuff. Who do you think is like a, a guy who's kind of flying under the radar? Who would be a, you know, diamond in the rough, maybe just because they didn't really have that great of a season or they're just, you know, not a, a big time program because because one person I'm really high on is uh Hugh Jung Lee from Davidson. He seems like a really like deadly shooter, but uh no one really projects him to be like a, a late first rounder. He's still kind of like mid to late second round. So like what 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 guy do you think is being you know undervalued? Yeah, I mean Lee is a good one for sure. I mean, like you said, you know, sharpshooter, he's a sniper from three. And I think, you know, he can really cut off the ball, too. He doesn't need the ball in his hands to be effective. So he's one of those guys where it's like he's not going to need too many touches to be able to at least, I think, be in sort of like a backup depth type of role. Like, I don't think he's ever really going to be a starter in the NBA. But I don't know. He's like Cameron Johnson, maybe. It's sort of like a role I could see him playing in the future. So Lee is one for sure. Um Harrison Ingram from Stanford is a guy that I really like. And his draft range is a little bit all over the place. Like he could probably go top 15, but like if he went at like 35, I would see why. But Harrison Ingram is a guy that I really like. Um, six, seven-ish, you know, pretty like really, really strong. Um, watched him in person and I was blown away. I mean, he just always makes the right read. He can handle the ball for a big, for a big guy. And, like, I really think, like, he could probably play point guard in the NBA. And I said it in my video about him, but I think if there was someone who I could be like, all right, they're the Scotty Barnes of this draft class, just because they're so unusual, I think it would be Harrison Ingram. So he's someone to watch out for. And the last guy, he, he's not from a small school, but he's playing a small role, and that's Peyton Watson. And he's at UCLA. So... Five-star guy, but, you know, UCLA is stacked. I mean, they've got Johnny Juzang, Jaime Hawkins, all these guys. You know, they're definitely a favorite once the tournament rolls around. But he's not playing a big role because of that, you know, because, like, they want to win now. And he's a guy who's really raw, still needs a lot of development. But you can see the, you know, the defensive potential with him. Um, you know, 6'10", can shoot the ball a little bit, can defend, can handle. So those three guys, they're my sleeper picks right now. Yeah, no, um, I feel like, yeah, there's like a lot of like underground kind of like a lot, a lot of gems in the sense in this class, but uh, just going back, just going back to guard. So this podcast is like somewhat focused on the Pistons. Right. And um, it is like fans, obviously, if they could get a top three pick and get one of, you know, Chet Jabari or um, 
Paulo, they would be ecstatic. But when you start talking about like when you start looking at the guards and you start looking at fits and stuff, one of the concerns that I personally have with Jaden Ivey, for example, if if he was drafted to the Pistons, was he seems more of a guy who needs the ball in his hands. And you know, with Cade on the team, that becomes kind of a bit of a struggle. Are there any? Would you say guards like Johnny Davis or, um, for example, Ben Mathurin? Do you think those players are more fit to play? off the ball or who would you say are the better off the ball uh shooting guards in this uh class i think um yeah i mean that's a good that's a good question for sure because whenever i watch detroit it's something that stands out to me um i think long term Cade has to be the primary ball handler so i think everything maybe not this year but definitely i think next year or the year after that has to run through him and it's a little bit i think like luka Doncic when he was first drafted by dallas um, like Dennis Smith Jr. was there and they kind of shared the ball a little bit. Um, I'm not saying like the same thing goes on with Cade and Killian Hayes, but I definitely think like Cade should have the ball more. And it's like you said, you know, in order for that to happen, he needs like a really good off the ball guard next to him. And for me, that guy would be Ty Ty Washington from Kentucky. Um, he can play with the ball in his hands for sure. So like if Cade is injured or, you know, like if you just want to switch up the game plan, he can definitely run the one in that way. But if you're having him off the ball as a guy who can, you know, facilitate a little bit, um, attacking closeouts, making good decisions, he's never going to blow you away with his vision, but like he's going to be steady enough. And at the same time, he's also one of the best shooters in the draft in every situation that you can think of. So be it catch and shoot threes, um, you know, pulling up off the dribble, floaters, attacking closeouts. He can do all of those things and he doesn't need the ball too much. So if Detroit is in a position where, you know, maybe you don't want to like draft a big, like you really want to guard and you can trade down. If you're able to get Ty Ty Washington, I would do it. I think that would be a home run pick for the Pistons. Yeah. And quickly, I want to kind of hit on uh, Benedict Mathurin because he's kind of my guy. I, I really like him and watching his game. Where do you, where do you think, let's say the Pistons, like are down on their luck and they they finish with the six pick in the lottery is he is he a good pick at six or do you see him a little lower I see him a little lower but like I would not be mad picking him at six just because like after number four probably even like it can go any like any way that you think so if Matherin goes at six like part of me would be like okay maybe I would go with someone who might you know, who you might think has more upside. But with Matherin, I think, you know, he's still pretty young. Like, I think that's something that people forget about him just because, like, he was already getting some buzz last year. But he's 19 until June. So he's still pretty young. Um, I think he can be one of those guys that he's already really good in college. So once that happens these days, you know, like, when you see a player who's already really good in college, you're always a little bit hesitant because, like, it's, it's only so much about, like, oh, I want the youngest guy in the draft now. Like, I want potential. But sometimes you just need someone who, you know, who can come in and play and, you know, set a good culture. And I think that's what Matherin would be coming from Arizona always seems, you know, like a pretty mature guy, um, steady in his play, you know, consistent on both ends of the floor. You know, if you put him in Detroit right now and you just, you know, you're like, whatever. All right. Come out tomorrow, play on the wing, get some threes, play defense. He can do that for sure. So if the, if the Pistons got Matherin, I would be happy. Yeah, for sure. I think also one of the other guards that you put in top five was uh, Shaden Sharp, who 
who recently became eligible for the 2022 draft. I wanted to ask, though, when you're evaluating Sharp, so he obviously hasn't played in college yet, and you're just kind of going based off, like, his high school film. Does that affect the way you see him, like, in terms of evaluating him? Because it is, like, against, you could say, lower competition. Or do you think the flashes in his, in his tape before college, that's enough for you to give him a top five, like, in, in that top five range? Or do you think that's something maybe GM scouts, scouts in general would be, like, kind of concerned about? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it goes both ways. Like, I, I think, like, you pretty much got it spot on where it's like, yeah, um, like, scouts are going to be concerned about it because he is playing against the lower level of competition. But at the same time, you're, you're kind of trying to see, like, all right, um, he's doing all these things which look impressive and, like, sure, they're in high school. But what I kind of try to keep in mind is, all right, like, he just did something that, you know, stood out to me. But would he be able to do the same thing in the NBA? So, for example, like if he's cutting off the ball really well, I think that translates because like it just shows that you kind of understand how the game is moving. So Sharp is pretty good at cutting off the ball. He can be effective, you know, catching lobs, um, you know, coming off screens, getting to the rim. Sort of like a little bit like Jonathan Kaminga last year. I think like, you know, he's still developing as a jump shooter, but he does so many other things in other areas where it's like, all right, he's going to be productive no matter what. Um, but yeah, with Sharp, I mean, the reason why I don't have him for sure is like a top five pick. Because, like, if he was in college and he showed off all that I saw him do in high school, for sure he would be in that range. But it's what you said. Like, I don't know how he looks like against, you know, bigger, better athletes. And not only that, but just, like, better coached athletes, too. Yeah, I mean, Shane Sharp's so interesting, too, because, like, I feel like we haven't really had a situation like this in a while of a guy who straight up, you know, hasn't played this past year. And I mean, he would be just going straight from high school to the NBA. And also one important thing to mention with him is that I don't, it hasn't been announced yet that he's for sure going to the NBA. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see because for all we know, I guess he goes back to Kentucky for next year. Um, but but that would be a very interesting story. Um, so in switching to the previous draft, the 2021 draft of all these rookies, um who or actually I guess I'll ask this question to everybody so Vinay and you answer too who do you guys think will have the best overall career in the NBA I'm talking long term you know if you had to go into DraftKings FanDuel whatever casino and bet a million dollars on one guy to have the best career of all the guys in the 2021 draft who would it be I think I'm Okay, I'm I'm obviously gonna be a little bit biased here, but I'm I think I think like overall in terms of career, like I just feel like Cade has Cade has shown that he has flashes. He's shown the flashes, and I think I'm that's something that I'm buying compared to other prospects. For example, like Jalen Green, who I know is gonna be a really good player, but I think we haven't we haven't seen him in his full force. Although with Cade, we're kind of seeing it more and more. I think Cade has kind of the most straightforward path in my I in my eyes to becoming you know, in that top 10 player of the league. And I think, I think the Pistons won't regret taking him number one. I think it'll be like, he was the, he was probably the best player in the class, but I feel like you can't, you can't just say Cade outright. I feel like Evan Mobley deserves it. Jalen Green even deserves consider Scotty Barnes. You can make an argument for a lot of people, but if my bias coming, if I had to choose, choose one, I would probably choose Cade Cunningham. Yeah, I'd probably choose Cade too, just because, for similar reasons and you kind of see you know the the league has started uh a bunch of like larger guards you know Lamelo has 
been really successful and probably deserve to be an all-star this year. Um, so I think, yeah, the larger guards, and he just has an all-around game. Um, I mean, Luca too. Um, but, yeah, the league is transitioning to that. And, I mean, we just got to see Jalen Green um, be more consistent. And, obviously, I think he will once he gets a better team around him. And then, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Josh Giddy has been pretty good. Mobley, obviously. Um, but I don't know. I think Kate is still the obvious choice at the moment. Yeah. I mean, before I get into my answer, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think Cade, I don't want to say it's easy because, like, it's never easy. But definitely he's got a good pathway towards being, like, yeah, like what you said, like a top 10 player. Just because what we're seeing now is, like, the NBA wants those types of, like, you know, you have the size of a wing but the skill set of a guard. And that's exactly what Cade's got. So he's got a great chance of being good. And I think he's going to be really good. Like, I think we're talking about a guy who is probably going to be an all-star for a long time in the league. But since everyone has said Cade so far, I'll say Evan Mobley. And yeah, maybe I'm a little biased too, because I'm at USC right now. But I really think he's a special talent, man. I mean, I think he's so good, um, so mature. Like, you can already tell he's gotten a lot stronger since he got into the league. So that helps too. But He's always so poised. Um, he can do so many things. Like, if you need him to just catch lobs, he can do that. If you need him to, like, really focus on defense, he can do that because he can guard the rim, and then he can also switch because he's big enough and he's long enough to keep up with guards. And then the three-point shot, you know, I think Cade is always going to have the advantage there. But I do think Evan, you know, he's willing to take those shots. Um, he's got decent form. You know, he's going to be a threat from there. Like, even if he's not a 40% knockdown shooter, he's probably going to be around, you know, like 35, 36% for a long time. And that's good enough for him. So I just think with Evan Mobley, the way that he's looked really good this year, um, sometimes, you know, you don't know how careers are going to pan out, but just how he's looked, um, the improvement that he keeps showing, you know, month to month, pretty much is pretty ridiculous. And I think Evan Mobley is going to be the guy who has the best NBA career. But at the same time, with a little asterisk, because guys like Cade, like Scotty Barnes, like Franz Wagner, and then Aiden, you mentioned Josh Giddy, because I think he's also one of those guys who is going to have a really long career. And I think you can expect plenty of all-stars to come out of last year's draft. Oh, I mean, I think Mobley's a great pick because I, I truly believe, I've said this before and I'll say it again, I think Mobley will change the NBA a little bit in general, it's been going towards a bigger players league that can, you know, all these athletic guys that can guard every position like Mobley, but he's taking it to another level. And I mean, what Cleveland's doing with that lineup of Jared Allen, Mobley, and then even Larry Markkinen off the bench sometimes, I mean, it's just, it's crazy big size in a league that had, you know, previously been going towards small ball. So it'll be interesting. I think Mobley's a good pick. I think for me, I'll go with, so Kate will be my pick. But I'm going to say watch out for Jalen Green, too, to play devil's advocate for this Pistons podcast, um, just because, I, you know, he, he's someone that all of us have been high on since the offseason. But the dude offensively is just on another level. I understand, you know, it's not very efficient a lot of times. And I understand that his plus minus is I think it's like minus 14 on the season right now per game, which is not good. But I really do think that he, if he can just clean up his offensive game just a little bit and start being a little bit smarter with it, 
and then literally just start giving effort on defense, Jalen Green is going to be a player to watch. And regardless, I think even if he didn't play defense, he's going to start averaging 20 points. Honestly, maybe even as soon as next year, maybe two years. I don't know. But so that would be interesting. I was going to ask, though, Wilco, um, because you mentioned Mobley and obviously you go to USC, who's your rookie of the year pick right now? Because I think it's starting to get, you know, zoomed in on just Cade and Mobley, I guess you could say. Some would throw in Scotty Barnes and Franz maybe. But who would you say is your pick as of right now? Yeah, I mean, I think the top three is exactly what you said with uh, Mobley, Cade, and Scotty Barnes. And then, yeah, like probably like Franz Wagner and Josh Giddy like round out the top five. But yeah, I think right now, I mean, what we're seeing is that I think it's going to go down to Cade and Mobley. Um, hopefully this hip injury that Cade has doesn't keep him out for too long. Because, you know, if he's out, you know, with, you know, little, you know, injuries here and there, that can definitely put in like a dent to, a, you know, his rookie of the year candidacy. But I think Cade, the thing with him is like we've seen him get better and better because I do think the first month or so was a struggle. Um, you know, you guys mentioned it earlier, but he was getting blocked quite a bit. Couldn't really find a way to get to his spots, was turning the ball over. Just like he wasn't really used to, you know, seeing how the NBA court is. But now we've seen it. I mean, you know, he was what the Eastern rookie of the month in January, something like that. Um, you know, putting up good numbers. Um, you know, his three-pointer since the start of the year has really improved because I think I think he's shooting like 33% around there on the year. But ever since 2022 started, it's up to like 36, 37%, which is what you want to see from him long term. Um, the efficiency has been a struggle for him at times, but I think you know, you can't really hold it against him. Um the Pistons, you know, I mean, they're not really playing winning basketball right now. And at the same time, he's got to figure out the league. So with most rookies, they're not going to be efficient. And I think that's what's happening with Cade. Um, I think it will come down to him and Mobley. If I had to choose right now, I would go with Evan Mobley just because, you know, no one expected this Cleveland team to be so good. And he's been a huge part of that on both ends of the floor. And this is just, you know, he's only a rookie, but he plays like a really, you know, 10-year pro on some nights. Whereas with Cade, you will see him have some nights where it's like, all right, I can tell that this guy is a rookie. With Mobley, I feel like that's becoming less and less the case. So Cade, I still think he has another level to go up. And I think he's going to be able to reach it this season, honestly. Like, I think he's going to end the season really strong. Um, we've seen that with other rookies in the past where, like, you know, they take the entire year to sort of get acclimated to the league. And then once, you know, like April, May comes around, Maybe you're playing meaningless basketball at that point, but at the same time, you know, you do really see that improvement. And I'm going to be looking out for that with Cade in particular over the next few months. Yeah, I think previously we've all said that Evan Mobley is still all of our rookie of the year so far, just because he's put together, you know, a whole season. That's a lot better. We did say, though, that that Cade – um put together the best game though where he had a the 38 8 and 8 game um but what do, what do you think about Jalen Suggs like like is there a way that he can get better because obviously a lot of people are calling him a bust already um so what's his deal there and like how can he improve to get back into like you know he was worth it at five yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been a it's been a little bit of a struggle for Jalen Suggs so far, um, more so than I expected. Like, I, I did think that he was going to have some difficulty sort of adapting to the league. But I think I was thinking about it the other day, too. Like, I think what sort of happened 
is that Jalen Suggs had all these improvement areas coming out of Gonzaga, right? So like you wanted to like see, all right, like can he really become a consistent three-point shooter? And like so far he has not. Um, you know, like can he become a little bit more creative with his handle? And like so far he has not. Like he's still sort of a guy who really wants to like bully his way to the rim, which is like blow past everyone and finish. But in the NBA, sometimes you just cannot do that. And then with his passing too, I mean, like, I just think like Jalen Suggs, he has so many good things to his game. I mean, the intensity, I think he's a smart player. Um, he's a big game player too. So like, you know, like if you need him to come up big, um, you know, in crunch time, like I, I definitely think he can rise up to the occasion. But the one thing that he lacks is sort of creativity. Um, you know, he's never going to be the most creative passer or the most creative finisher. He's always going to try to, you know, like burrow his way through and just finish through strength and physical tools rather than like finesse. And that's really what his game is missing. So hopefully he can add that to his game over time. Um, I do think, you know, he's missed some time here and there with Orlando. So that's sort of, you know, um, made it an even bigger struggle for him. But I think eventually he'll be fine. Um Maybe, you know, I, I had him like above Scotty, uh, above Scotty Barnes. Yeah, for example, like going into last year's draft. So in hindsight, I'm not feeling too great about it, but um, I definitely think that Jalen Suggs will be OK. Um, he can become, you know, one of these guys, like even if it's just like what Lonzo Ball is now, it's really valuable still as a guy, as a guy you know, who's a guard, a three and D type of guy um, can shoot threes at an OK level. I mean, with Lonzo, obviously he improved a lot. And you kind of have to bank that Jalen Suggs improves that. But even if down the line, you know, he's just a guy who can like guard ones and twos and maybe threes, who can pass the ball well enough um, and who can like make his threes. I already think that's a pretty valuable player. Yeah, no, Suggs is definitely a player who he received a lot of hype. I think a lot of people were high on him. It's disappointing to see like he hasn't been as good, but I think definitely, definitely a player who definitely keep your eye out. And he has a, I don't think it's, I don't think his career, you can just call it over just, you know, halfway through the season. But one question I did want to kind of ask was this season has been kind of the season of opportunity with, you know, 10 day hardships and all these rookies getting opportunities to play on NBA teams that maybe they wouldn't have. But so for example, a player like uh, Brandon Boston on the Clippers, or even I think Isaiah, Isaiah Jackson, on the Pacers, you know, he went off for 26 and it seems to be an opportunities league, but I wanted to ask, are there any rookies who are like are currently on the bench? We discussed uh, before the podcast about Jaden Springer or players like James Buchner. Are there rookies that who aren't playing as much or spending time in the G league that you, although they aren't getting minutes are still like kind of high on and would like to see them maybe either a get more minutes or B maybe go to a different situation. Yeah, I mean, one guy who I sort of think was in that situation and recently it started to change a little bit was a uh, Trey Mann over at OKC. Um, he's a three level scoring guard that I really like. I think he's, you know, got a lot of sauce to his game, a uh, big time score, like good size. He's like six four or six five for a point guard. But recently he's been getting a little bit more run with the Thunder and he he's done really well. I mean, he put up a career high the other night. And you can like sort of really see the flashes like with the floater, with like some passing, with the three-point scoring, all this stuff. So he was a guy who I sort of had earmarked, but it sort of seems like his situation is changing, which I'm happy about for sure. Um, someone like JT Thor for Charlotte, I think he's an interesting guy. I mean, he's barely seeing the court and I can understand why because like he's so raw. But every time, you know, I love watching LaMelo Ball, I think 
I agree. Like he should have been an all-star for sure, I think, this year. But uh whenever I watch the Hornets, I'm always like, all right, like they've got like Mason, like Mason Plumley or whoever. But it's always a guy who like he's not gonna be catching lobs and like he's not gonna be, you know, playing fast and like running the break and all this stuff. And that's what LaMelo wants to do, you know. That's why we see him, you know, have so much fun with Miles Bridges. So if he had like a center version of that, someone who's like really athletic and bouncy and, and can get up and down, I think JT Thor would fit that bill. And he's not really playing a lot in Charlotte. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think those are the two guys that really stand out to me. But I, I'm glad you brought up like BJ Boston because he's someone who, if he wasn't on the Clippers, I think it would have been really easy for him to kind of fall into that where it's like, all right, like this guy, you know, he was really highly touted. Like at one point, like he could have been the number one pick, like coming out of high school. Yeah. But, you know, had a terrible year at Kentucky for multiple reasons. And if he had gone to like, I don't know, like the Denver Nuggets or something like that, like he would probably just be stuck in the G League or on the bench, not getting any minutes. But we've seen him come in with the Clippers and like, you know, sometimes for whatever reason, you just have an off year in college. And that doesn't mean like your talent is gone. It just means that maybe you need a different situation. So that's what happened with him. Um, and I'm hoping that overall guys like, you know, like JT Thor that I mentioned, or like Trey Murphy, who's like on the Pelicans, guys like that who I think can have, you know, legit NBA roles but are not seeing them right now. I do hope that it's a matter of time. And if not, you know, a trade can always really change someone's career. And we've seen that time and time again. Most definitely. I mean, that, okay, so that will pretty much do it for uh, the draft coverage, the draft special episode, I guess. I want to ask you a real quick, Wilco, who is your NBA uh, championship pick for this year? Or what, what two teams do you have in the finals, I guess, and then who, who takes it home? Man, I mean, you're, you're putting me on the spot now. You're putting me on the spot now, bro. Um, hey, hey, bro, you could say, say anyone, Brooklyn, LA, who knows? Sixers, too. Nah, nah. Hey, the Utah Jazz. I'm a, I'm a big Utah Jazz Donovan Mitchell guy. I, w- I mean, I, I wish the Sixers made it, but right now I, I see no chance. I, I do think we can make a deep run because I think Joel Embiid is the MVP this season. But um, nah, I, I don't think the Sixers make it to the finals as much as I would like for that to happen. Um, all right. I think for the West, for me, it's down to two teams. I think it's either the Warriors or the Suns. I think they're the, the two best teams in the league. And I mean, there's a lot of other good teams like the Nuggets, like the Jazz, like you said, who could put up good challenges. And like, that's why I think like the Western Conference playoff picture is always so interesting because you never know who's going to face off against each other. And like, even with the Clippers and the Lakers, like they've had up and down seasons for like different reasons. But right now, like if you put the Lakers in a playoff setting, even though like Russ and AD and LeBron have like struggled to kind of gel so far, the playoffs are just so different. Like you never know what's going to happen once the game like slows down and once you're feeling that pressure. Um, but if I had to pick, all right, I'll, I'll go with the, uh, I'll go with the Warriors for the West. Um, low key though, I do hope it's the Suns instead of them, but I think the Warriors are really good. And then for the East, I'm going to say Brooklyn does not make the finals. I think there's too much going on there. Like I do think they've got a ton of talent. But at the same time, we've seen, like, you know, they're relying on a bunch of guys like DeAndre Bembry or, like, Javon Carter or, like, the corpse of Blake Griffin, you know, to, like, be able to, like, play some big minutes. And, like, you can kind of get away with it in the regular season. I don't think you will be able to get away with it in the playoffs. Like, I think, like, the like LaMarcus Aldridge is, like, barbecue chicken in the playoffs. I'm not going to lie. But 
I think the Bucks. Yeah, I think like the Bucks are the best team in the East. Um, they've also not had a great season. Like like Chris Middleton, I don't think should have been an All Star, but um, I think yeah, like the Bucks and the Warriors. I'll say those are my picks. Okay. Hey, those those aren't like a you know that's not all chalk by any means. But it's interesting though. You took the Warriors. Um, another guest we had two or a few episodes ago, James Edwards, big time uh, beat writer. He took the Warriors to win it all too. So. Aiden, but I wish what you guys think of that. Yeah, I I still have Warriors Nets, but I did just see this uh, pop up on my phone that Nets are open to a Simmons for Harden trade. So I'm not a big fan of Philly. They're probably the team I hate the most in the NBA. Yeah. So I think <laughs> I think that automatically would have me uh, change my pick. But I I don't know. The East is kind of weird right now. Um, and we kind of have hated on Chicago as well as a whole and don't really think they're <laughs> the best team. Or, I don't know, but they, they've been proving themselves, so I could be wrong. But, yeah, I still have Warriors and Nets until, until things change. I will also say, though, if the, if the Sixers manage to pull it off and get James Harden for Ben Simmons, I think the Nets will be pretty good. But, I mean, the Sixers with Harden and Embiid, I mean – isn't that what they always wanted? They always wanted like a guard to play with NBA and Harden. He's not like the point. He's not like Damian Lillard, but I mean, Harden's a pretty good passer and he's good. He's basically a point guard. He played point guard in Houston. I think that's like, that's kind of a dangerous, that's a kind of a dangerous team. So definitely for sure. Also, Wilco, would you want to plug your socials? Um, you have the floor to plug on any socials or your YouTube channel or whatever you want to plug. Um, the floor is yours for that as well. Bet, bet, bet. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll plug uh I'll plug my Twitter first and foremost. Those those who know me, they, they know I'm on Twitter pretty much all day. So I mean it's definitely definitely something I gotta work on. But uh at Wilco MCV on Twitter. Um yeah, you know, NBA draft stuff for sure, NBA stuff a lot, but I mean feel free to hit me up about whatever, honestly. Um and then YouTube, uh youtube.com forward slash floor and ceiling. That's where you get a video every week, um, scouting reports, just takes on the draft, takes on college basketball. So those are my two main um, plugs. If anyone, you know, I'm out here trying to get a job. So like if anyone's trying to, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn, I'll plug that out too. Just just search my name on LinkedIn and I'm there. So who knows where, where this will take us. Yes, sir. Hey, the LinkedIn connection or the plug for LinkedIn is always a good, good idea. You never know what happens from that. But yeah, I mean, man, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, like like I said at the beginning of this episode, Wilco really has a great YouTube channel going called Florence Ceiling. Like he said, go check him out. Um, and yeah, I mean, he continues to put out some great scouting reports. So I'll definitely be watching the ones that are coming up soon. So yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Um, to everyone who stayed listening in until this point, thank you so much. We really appreciate the support. Again, make sure to hit us up on social media, follow, like, and subscribe. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, that pretty much does it. See ya. Peace. Peace.